0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Borowitz, And welcome back, fellow forgotten American taxpayers to the one and only conservative review podcast, your daily town hall of. Anti insanity from the political class. Yes, there is a place that actually cares about what you think you, the sovereign American citizen, American taxpayer, Um, Believe it or not, you might not have Kim Kardashian's rear end vouching for you at the White House. Um, But there is someone as small as I am. I am willing to be that advocate. And that's why I need you guys to help join me. Send this show around to 100 of your friends and relatives on iTunes. Give us a nice five star rating there. Um, In addition, it's really reinvigorated my sense of purpose that we're working on this facebook page together that i think we could all gather together um as this town hall online and really push for the pressing issues that matter to this country now what's a pressing issue that matters to this country as you well know if you take the issue of immigration and all of its side issues you take the issue of judicial supremacism that a single court <clears throat> any time any place is the sole and final arbiter of every social and political question every constitutional question any anything and then you put those two issues together well that's my book stolen sovereignty and since i've written it nothing has supplanted that as the most important issue because it really touches on every issue what are we doing about that as a people as a movement do we have a political party speaking to our needs on those issues and the amalgamation of all those factors? We're going to have a special guest today, very special guest, to delve through how the courts are stealing our sovereignty, how the courts are worse than ever in shutting down immigration enforcement. But before we get to our guest, I just want to comment on what happened yesterday. So I was taking my dad to... Uh, a doctor first who's at the ER just for sciatic nerve pain, which is what we think it is. And I really appreciate all your prayers and feedback on you know, what to do with the government shutting down pain medication in order to protect drug traffickers, jailbreak and sanctuary cities. But as I was there looking on my phone and you have breaking news about John Roberts issuing an unprecedented statement rebuking Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, for his comments, threatening two Supreme Court justices. And I was thinking to myself, watching the fallout and watching the news, that that issue embodies the problem that many of you have with the Republican Party, the phony conservative movement, how everything is about a talking point, but not a policy outcome, not moving the ball forward on what actually matters. And in fact, the talking points often become a defeat mechanism, not just a distraction, but downright a defeat mechanism to continue the left's inexorable victories on the actual policies. But we we need a talking point. Oh, you see, you really stepped in it. Oh, you know, like this whole grievance culture where we act like the left, the left says everyone needs to resign. So we're like, well, you need to resign. You said something offensive. Oh, you're attacking a judge. No, you're attacking a judge. And again, I'm not defending Schumer. Obviously, you know, he directly did threaten judges. It wasn't just like, hey, we're going to defeat you at the ballot box because obviously they're not up for election. Um, Certainly across the line, he shouldn't have done it. But we're all missing the point that we have an opportunity with the Democrats finally perceiving wrongly, but nonetheless perceiving that we're on the cusp of this right wing judicial supremacy, a right wing court. Now is the time to say Demo- to Democrats, you're right. Courts have too much power. We're clawing each other's eyes out. We're scratching. We're having a, death, a fight to the death over who's going to be the super legislature on the super legislator rather, rather than just simply fighting out our political battles in the pol- political branches. The stakes have become too high. I mean, look, if you're going to say it's a winner take all, that whatever happens in a court, that's it. You know, not a criminal case or a civil case with individual, you know, Smith v. Jones, but hey, a border, whether we're going to have a border, whether a judge could simply flick his wrist and say, you're going to let in endless criminal caravans at a time of a global pandemic with coronavirus. And somehow that's the law. Somehow, you know, since the days of Lincoln, we still haven't settled this problem of a court could determine when life begins, what's a marriage, what's election law. Anything, anything, there's literally nothing a judge cannot do erroneously regarded under our body politic. And now would be the time to say, hey, you're right, Chuck. Courts should not be deciding when life begins. You're right. I agree with you. Republican judges shouldn't decide it. But you know what? Democrats and Democrat judges on the court shouldn't decide that either. Leave abortion to the states and leave immigration to the executive branch of the federal government. They say, you know, my body, my my right. How about our border, our right? See, both sides could play this game. They're right. It's ours. Who are courts to steal our sovereignty, our individual sovereignty as as a people to have self-determination, to determine the outcome of our political issues through, our, through our, our political representatives, of our national sovereignty, to determine the future orientation of our country. That, that must be decided by the people and the people alone. They're right. See, here's the irony. Chuck Schumer is getting upset. Now, by the way, he's not upset. It's strategically designed to influence Kavanaugh and Roberts and whoever else. And they're actually not wrong in thinking they can influence them, as we've seen from the past. But here's the irony. We're not on our way to this conservative nirvana. Here's the joke. Where did this all come from? It's this Louisiana abortion case. They heard oral arguments yesterday. Schumer and Democrats led a you know, this chant protest outside the steps of the Supreme Court. Now, what happened there? If you listen to oral arguments in the case, here's the irony. Hell will freeze over until they before they ever repeal, so to speak, repeal like as if it's a law. It's not. That's the whole point. But reverse Rowan Casey. We have one vote to do that. And that's Clarence Thomas. Um, Alito and Gorsuch, maybe to a certain extent, we don't know. I will promise you the world Kavanaugh and Roberts will never do it. Here's the proof. They won't even repeal the recent bad extensions and expansions of bad jurisprudence, including abortion jurisprudence. Even on the cases where Roberts was the dissent and Kennedy was the fifth judge, that there's this perception that now that you replaced him with Kavanaugh, you'll have five. No, we saw this with all the, you know, Miller and Montgomery, all these like, Cases abolishing life in prison without parole for for uh, juveniles. I mean, all these novel, extreme things just a couple years old. Once they're decided, then Roberts is like, look, it's precedent. Even if he voted against it before, he's not like Sotomayor and Ginsburg who will flip the minute they get the fifth judge. They don't have that. And if you listen to oral arguments, it was very clear that that we don't have anywhere near majority to repeal Hellerstat forget about Roe it was just a question of whether and how you're going to apply Hellerstat you know this issue of oh you can't set um uh reasonable health care regulations on the abortion providers and abortion clinics the Gosnell laws um how do you apply it in Louisiana's case that that was all they were debating but none of them ever said Hellerstat is crap I mean we know how Thomas feels about that So this is the joke. It's not like we're going to reverse anything anyway. But meanwhile, while we're all, you know, like the idiot who focuses on the moon, on the finger when someone points to the moon, we're all focused on this. Meanwhile, they're winning anyway. Yesterday, the Ninth Circuit finalized its injunction. And they said by, by March 13th, you have to end the migration protocol policy, right? The return to Mexico policy. And caravans that come in, prima facie fraud there's nothing going on there they have a right to come in well didn't we just have a supreme court ruling 1182f says the president has full authority to deny entry but yet this is one of 50 cases where the lower courts do what they want they do what conservative judges on lower courts will not do against precedent they don't like and yet doj and dhs completely indulge it. okay Oh, wait, you mean we have a pandemic and you're like going to bring people in from 100 countries? Literally, I mean, it's not it's Latin America, but it's it's uh, 300 or so came from China or were apprehended. Who knows how many else got through from China in January? Um, hey, no, no. I mean, a judge said it. Let's say a judge says we have to set our country on fire. I mean, is that the final end all? We are losing our border. We are losing our sovereignty. We're losing immigration enforcement overnight. And like I always say, you know, everyone's focused on Ilhan Omar's bill. It will never pass. And if it did, Democrats would lose 100 seats. Here, they get judges in these cases nobody ever heard of to quietly dismantle our ability to even deport criminal aliens, to even deny entry to criminal caravans where Central American intel agencies are telling us there's MS-13 and, and convicted murderers in, among these, these uh, members. No, you have to let them in. And yet Republicans, rather than using the Democrat gift and the energy to jujitsu it into de- 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 uh, legitimizing ju- judicial supremacy de-emphasizing the power of the courts. Let's get together and keep political issues out of the courts. Let's strip them of jurisdiction and and, and clarify that they don't have the power of universal injunction. Instead, they're like, I mean, you, you guys saw this probably on Twitter, all these conservative pundits. Schumer is threatening the independent judiciary. What, what do you mean independent? Like like Kim Jong-un? You know, they get to set the contours of the boundaries of every other branch, but but, but they don't get to... Um, do the same to the courts? I mean, are you kidding me? We're headed in the wrong direction. But again, this is a conservative movement that is conserving nothing but an ephemeral cheap shot and a talking point. Again, I'm not defending Schumer's comments. I'm just saying we're not doing the right things with them. I don't need to get Schumer in hot water for a comment. I need to end his destruction of this country through open borders and other problems in the courts. It's the same way I don't care about crying and feigning virtue signaling over nancy pelosi ripping up a a paper copy of donald trump's speech it's that she and her movement are successfully ripping up the traditions and history of our country that's what i want to fight well who better to bring on than dan dan cadman as you all know i'm a big fan of center for immigration studies it is one of the few organizations where I feel I could actually learn something from. Check their site out; you will really learn stuff every day. Uh, he's he's a senior fellow there. He's a retired INS ice agent. You know he worked for them back when they were the old INS. We're going to talk about that today. Thirty years of government experience. He served as senior supervisor, manager, both at headquarters, field offices, and also overseas. So he really has this full picture of. Seeing everything immigration enforcement encompasses, criminal aliens, employer sanctions, even national security and terrorism, um, the China brain drain, the China brain gain, the uh, trade secret theft. Look, we're not going to get to all this today, but I want you guys to go to Center for Immigration Studies, Google Dan Cadman. You'll see a chronological history of all his writings. Um, Good, good stuff. With no further ado, it's an honor to bring Dan on for the first time and hopefully not the last to the conservative review. Hey, Dan, thanks for listening to my filibuster and great to have you on.
1: Well, the pleasure and the honor are are mine, I assure you. So thanks for having me today.
0: Well, I'm uh, running out of air here because I have so much to say. So I want (laughs) to get your uh, I want to get you to weigh in on this. Look, this is the first time we're talking about, you know, what, 100, 500 cases where the courts are denuding ICE and abolishing every tool of ICE to enforce immigration law. Um, let's start off with the here and now. We have the Ninth Circuit. I literally did not believe it. I was like, look, after Trump v. Hawaii, after we saw the consequences of the border and the consequences of implementing MPP, there's no way they're just going to say like, and then you've got Coronavirus hey, the Ninth Circuit just gave phony standing and and said, you have to let in foreign nationals who have never obtained entry? What am I missing here?
1: You're not missing anything. You know, in my more cynical moments, I refer to them as the um, Ninth Circus Court of Appeals because so much of what they say and do is so off the wall. But but you know, there is a, a kind of low cunning to what they do because as you and I, both know in the past they have not been uh, loath at all, to, at the drop of the hat either to issue national injunctions or to um, sustain those issued at lower court levels. Well, they're starting to sense a, a little change in the wind at the Supreme Court, and so in, the, in, a, in a couple of cases recently, such as this one, they've limited it and said, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to limit the damage here um in this specific case for instance to california and arizona so they're acting like they're going along with the program but in fact if you think about it you know my god think of the um amount of damage that's done if um you're going to allow all of these aliens into the country uh, you know across the borders in california and arizona and and what's going to happen aliens aren't stupid the aliens who are further east are going to drift the west and they're going to take advantage of the ninth circuit's uh ali" income free and they're going to move up and in there because they know that the ninth circuit has now endorsed it and so you have to ask yourself what kind of gamesmanship is this And, and you put your finger on it right at the start when you said when you think about so many of the problems confronting our country today you know culturally socially for the future Think about immigration, and it is the it is cross-current of all those things. Even something like abortion. You, you may recall that there was the big to-do over whether a, a juvenile alien in ICE custody was entitled to an abortion or not. Um, when you talk about immigration, you're talking about just about anything and everything that is going to dictate the future of the United States. And it really concerns me that uh, that the courts... You know, these unelected individuals in life tenures, these people who at the time of their um, of, of their investiture are, are I, one supposes they think that they're invested with divine wisdom and they're not. But these are the people who are going to dictate that future. I don't want that.
0: And as you mentioned, immigration really is all-encompassing. It, it's the palladium of issues uh, that affect future of our sovereignty it's really there's almost nothing that can't be brought uh, back to it just simply because america while not perfect we prefer it because we prefer it we like it we know it's the best country and if you have irresponsible immigration and open border policies every social financial you know criminal terrorism espionage ill that you could think of you now have a seamless conduit for that and even at the in the bowels of the Warren era where they were creating b s rights for Americans at you know breakneck speed, there was always this red line that they would not cross sovereignty like no I mean they said it's the most uninterrupted case law that there is no right to come here, no right to remain here. that's Justice Jackson always said that um that There is no due process. You you know, we can't criminally convict you without due process, but we just to remove you and certainly to deny entry was never even a question. Um, There's no judicial standing. And there's everyone's talking about the universal injunction thing. Well, first, the nationwide injunction thing. But, you know, then there's the universal injunction thing that I want to get to, which is that there's something more fundamental here. I cannot think of a single policy issue where our entire body politic is getting the premise wrong of what is the power of a court. Everyone understands more or less the extent of the power of the legislative branch, the executive branch. But no one seems to understand as Edward Bates, uh, Lincoln's attorney general, he said. The sum of its judicial powers, ample and efficient for all the purposes of distributive justice among individual parties, but powerless to impose rules of action and of judgment upon the other departments. So it's not just applying it outside of Arizona and California, but the issue is how in the world do you give standing to foreign nationals or like BS third party agitation groups to to then Like like as if it's, you know, you damage my house, Hurwitz v. Cadman, like I want to sue you so that that's a case. But how I could give standing to the ACLU or whatever other, you know, organization there and and or caravans and say, yes, I'm ruling with you. And therefore, the executive branch must take affirmative action to bring in people to the country. How did we get to that? I mean, how, how, how does DOJ indulge that for a minute?
1: I I am hard pressed to answer that. Um, I watched this happen over the course of time, and it seems to me um, that it started to happen somewhere in the early, you know, origins of the um, of the um, Clinton administration. Although I have to admit, I, you know, when I looked even back further um, to the Reagan administration, because I was working in the government at that time, I think, you know, whatever one may or may not think of Ronald Reagan, he made a fundamental error in endorsing this whole idea in 1986 of a broad-based amnesty, because that's still having yeah. repercussions and echoes today. But this this idea of the judiciary getting the say— um, has become more and more expansive and, and, you know, the amount of judicial overreach that we see is, is shocking. Um, judges at the drop of a hat, you know, are, um, endorsing class action lawsuits on the most flimsy of bases. Um, judges similarly who are far, far, far from the action, such as in Pacific Northwest, you know, single district court judges find themselves, Ruling on things such as applications for asylum at the border, which they've never seen. Um, I I don't know how we got to this point, but I do know that um, the fundamental problem is that all executive branch agencies seem to accept that the court should the courts should have the final say. And you know, when I look back in history. if you think about it, who made that rule? The court said the court should have the final say. <laughs> and with the possible exception of Andrew Jackson, who is there that's ever said, nah? I mean, it's
0: ironic well, Lincoln, that when Lincoln you said that,
1: well, there you go. See, and so when you ask yourself, you know, who even enforces the court's orders, the uh, judge in a courtroom turns to the U.S. Marshals. Well, the marshals are executive branch. Yep. um employees if a judge turned to the marshals and said do this and the president said no you won't do it well guess who should win on that the president should but no one wants to call the you know to call the um, the bluff of the courts and so the courts get away with all kinds of extraordinary things that are shocking and, and you've also touched interestingly um on standing and i will tell you from years of experience in the bureaucracy that there is a very longstanding and cynical um, saying among immigration agents, and that is, no case is ever over until the alien wins. And that that has been the kind of cynical outlook of immigration officers for decades now, and it's because they see cases linger in the court sometimes for decades. You have an order of removal, an order of deportation against an alien and 10 years later, he's still quibbling and fighting in the courts, and the courts are still assessing how many angels are dancing on the head of a pin. Well, you know, there is some, some fundamental truth to the idea that justice delayed is justice denied. What good is an order of removal that's never enforced? It's a joke. Uh,
0: this is a national emergency. I want to segue into interior enforcement. Everyone's talking about sanctuary cities. But the reality is, we have sanctuary nation. So, because of the courts. So, you know, everyone's like, what are the sanctuary cities saying? They have rights. You can't remove them. It's like anything else. You need a criminal warrant. And again, the whole point is it's impossible to get one because it's not criminal, it's civil. And the reason it's not is because we never wanted to make it criminal because we're just, we, we don't want to fill up our jails with you unless you do something else egregious. We want to get you out of here. We're a sovereign nation. You have no right to be here. So, we're just removing you. And again, I mean, it's still good. Forget about the Constitution because we don't believe in that. It's all case law, right? Supreme Court's God. But I mean, it's still it's not like there's Roe v. Wade. You know, okay, you could point to bad Supreme Court decisions when it comes to immigration. All the major decisions still stand that that there's there's no right to any of this. And I want you to answer this because you were an INS agent before this restructuring. And here's what I don't understand. 1954 we had something called operation wetback and that's when eisenhower returned you know it's different estimates 500,000 to a million illegal aliens to mexico there is no document um documented cases of lawsuits it just they were out and a lot of people like common sense americans would ask they don't understand what's with this court administrative court federal courts get involved this litigation, order of deportation, I don't understand. If we're not trying to criminally convict you, you have no right to be here. You're, you're, we, we, you're illegal means illegal. You're removed. So a lot of people think, oh, that's the Wild West. That's the old days. But 1954 was after 1952. Those are the operational statutes of the INA that we're operating on today. And there were no problems. How did we get to a point Where even sex offenders and gang members and criminal aliens, not not even LPRs, I'm saying illegals, get to litigate for 10 years. And when we have three million, at least, criminal aliens, we have to litigate each one to death for years.
1: Well, that's a really interesting question. And and, and let me delve back into that for a few minutes. And first, let me note that I don't remember his name, but the man in charge of the INS at the time of that operation um, was a Marine Corps general, and he was a no-nonsense fellow. And he you know, he knew a couple of things, and one was that the Bracero program had resulted in a lot of aliens coming into the United States who then drifted away from the fields and were just wandering around, and he was a little unhappy about that. And he also recognized that they were an incentive toward others entering and staying illegally, And he said, we're going to move uh, throughout the country, sweep them up and get them out. And that's, you know, that's what that effort was about. But let me also point out that at that point in time, you did not have this massive superstructure administratively um, uh, that the government has imposed on itself of immigration judges and a board of immigration appeals. And then after all of that. Um, judicial review at the circuit court, at the district court for habeas proceedings, etc. What you had then was called a special inquiry officer, and he was just an immigration officer with a lot of experience who was charged with looking over those cases, making sure they were procedurally sound, and then saying go. And that's what happened. And the aliens, after that cursory review, were removed from the United States and. The government has inflicted upon itself increasingly uh, an administrative cadre of individuals who, for all intents and purposes, comport themselves exactly like the Article Three judges. They wear robes. They think of themselves not just mm-hmm. as invincible, but divinely ordained. Um, and once you get past the immigration judges in the immigration court, you go to the Board of Immigration Appeals, and, you know, they rule on things and they are so backlogged that you're now talking about it. You know, the courts, there's a delay of anywhere from one to three years, depending on whether you're, you know, detained or not detained. And then you go to the BIA, you can add a couple of years on to that. Um, and then if somebody appeals to the, um, you know, to a circuit court of appeal, add a couple more years on to that. And you suddenly you're approaching that decade of litigation. Um, And the amount of time being spent by the federal courts on these things is shocking. Um, In 2017, you know, BIA, Board of Immigration Appeals, constituted 82% of the administrative agency appeals for the circuit courts of the United States. And the circuit courts don't have, you know, they have a finite bandwidth of time to hear cases. And so if 82% of the cases that are being heard or immigration cases, um, then what you're fundamentally seeing is that American citizens who may have a legitimate basis for litigation are going to get boxed out in the process, and they do. And in that same year, 2017, habeas corpus filing proceedings rose 42% in the district courts. So, you know, that even though this whole system was designed to keep the immigration system out of the federal courts because the Congress was smart enough to know that it would eat up all the oxygen. Fundamentally, yep. that's happened anyway.
0: It's happened anyway. They, they understood when they passed IRA, they stripped the courts of jurisdiction over a lot of this. And now they'll say like, screw you, I'll hear it anyway. And DOJ won't defend the statute. Won't say like, like, you know, I tell people the same way. I believe a judicial review. I believe an executive review. I believe in legislative review. Each branch has to use its powers to jealously guard the proper rule of law. And if, you know, the other branches are getting out of hand and you have valid standing, yeah, you can go to court and the court should say, hey, wait a minute, you're violating the Constitution. But likewise, if statute says you can't hear the case and there are two things that Congress has plenary authority over. One is the jurisdiction, the subject matter jurisdiction of a court, right? That's Article three, Section two. Number two is sovereignty and immigration. And they say you can't hear an immigration. They say, screw you. We're hearing it anyway. And the thing is, DOJ doesn't assert that. They don't even like. So here's what I wanted to get into. And I wanted to tie this into some of your writings with this Greyhound case and this requirement for a judicial warrant. And, you know, what DHS and the DOJ lawyers are doing. So we had this Garza case where um, the D.C. Court of Appeals created a right to for an illegal alien to break into our country and if they could say they're not 18 they have a right to be brought to an abortion clinic for the office of refugee resettlement to bring them there and they're all haggling over whether you know rowan casey the abortion jurisprudence requires and compels such a result in comes karen henderson in her dissent and she's like wait a minute Normally, I don't bring up things that the litigants didn't bring up, but she she criticized DOJ for not bringing bringing this up because she said this is the antecedent to the entire question. Forget about abortion. You're an illegal alien. Didn't we have, quote, nearly six decades ago, the Supreme Court had already said that for over a half a century, this court has held that the detention of an alien in custody pending determination of his admissibility does not legally constitute an entry though the alien is physically within the United States, it's as if he's literally outside our borders. They'd have no rights to legitimate rights, much less whatever abortion you want to do. It's as if they're not here. They don't have standing. And what are we doing? And the funny thing is she was she was like lacing into DOJ for not asserting this. Uh, Durbin asked Kavanaugh about it because Kavanaugh did not sign on to that dissent. He had a separate one. Um, during his confirmation hearings, and Kavanaugh said point blank he doesn't agree with Henderson. Um, well, what am I missing yes, here? That's a,
1: you know, you're not missing anything, and that's a, that's exactly the problem with the, the way this works. And you, you mentioned, you know, Ira Ira the um, I can't even remember the acronym now Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act or something along those lines. And it, here's a, here's a perfect example. When Congress created expedited removal, which should never have been necessary in the first place if the government was interpreting the law and removing people as it it, ought, expedited removal was. hmm? Yeah, expedited. Yeah, expedited removal was, you know, the whole focus of it was these are people with no attachments or ties to the United States. They've been here a limited period of time. You know, you need to get them out and you need to get them out quickly and you don't need to involve either the federal courts or even the immigration courts to do it. And so what happens? An alien contests that in court. He goes in and he says, well, you know, I'm in detention and my my removal is imminent under expedited removal. I want to file a habeas corpus proceeding and say I'm being detained, you know, contrary to law. Well, it's not contrary to law. So what happens? The district court finds that even though it's been specifically divested of jurisdiction, you know, by the statute, it says, but I have the right to look at it anyway. And so the government appeals that, but the appeals court says, yeah, we need to look at that and think about whether or not habeas, you know, uh, appeals um, apply in this circumstance. So what you have is this charade where the courts are saying, yeah, we see that we're not supposed to have jurisdiction, but is that really true? Because we need to think about that because we need to be the final arbiters of whether or not we have the right to, to, to review and, and hear it or not. And, and and in doing that, you know, they are clearly usurping um, the constitutional prerogatives of both the Congress and the executive branch.
0: And, and there's no defense of it. I mean, to this day, we see with TPS they're not allowed to hear yeah. the cases and they're like, screw it. We're hearing it anyway. And the Trump administration, I mean, we are under the gun of the consequences of policies that are put on hold that lawfully have to be done because of illegitimate lower courts ruling, not just contrary to law and the constitution, but even contrary to its own branches precedent. And it's like, no one calls them out on it. So could you talk about this case you wrote about recently with a uh, greyhound where you know they're doing what the sanctuaries are doing, say, you, you can't go on our buses and and get an illegal alien. You need a criminal warrant. So how did DOJ and DHS deal with that?
1: Well, you know, again, it's it's a sad irony that the government shot itself in the foot because the author of the memorandum saying that the government did not have the right to engage in these cursory reviews of individuals. Um, whether they're on a Greyhound bus, which was of course the precipitate in this case, but could easily have been an Amtrak or wherever. It was the chief of the Border Patrol who issued a memo saying, yeah, we kind of think maybe that violates an individual's rights and, and they may find that they don't have um, the um, they may think that they don't have the right to walk away, and therefore it constitutes an unlawful detention. Well, that's that's hogwash on several counts. Um, in the first place, the immigration statutes, um, including the INA, Immigration and Nationality Act, um, Section 287, very clearly give immigration officers the right to question any alien or any individual who may be an alien as to their right to be in or remain in the United States. Um, when. Border Patrol officers, agents, board Greyhound buses. They are generally doing this either in immediate proximate areas to the border, such as the El Paso or San Diego bus station, or they may be doing it on what is understood and very well known to be a major smuggling route, such as Interstate and heading east and west. When they board these things, they don't Always even ask anyone questions. They board and they take a look around. If they ask a question, it's maybe a question or two. But they're using their experience and their knowledge to create articulable facts to decide whether anyone on that bus or a train or whatever the case may be um, is an alien unlawfully in the United States. So no one is being detained, no one is being arrested unless the Border Patrol agent develops the the articulable facts and then the probable cause to make the arrest. And frankly, the Supreme Court has already ruled that any place within 100 miles of the border, um, immigration agents have the right to conduct cursory stops. That's the basis on which anyone who has ever been, for instance, in San Diego and heads north to L.A., they confront a border patrol traffic checkpoint at which they will at least visually scrutinize your automobile. Um, and the same thing happens in any number of places emanating from the border onward, whether it's north, east, or west. That has been ruled for decades to be lawful. And so this whole thing was absolutely insane. And basically, The government, once again, is knuckling under. Once the memorandum was leaked, which it should never have been issued, Greyhound seized upon it to say, well, under those circumstances, if the Border Patrol itself thinks that, then our past Um. um, history of cooperation is over with. And we're going to insist on judicial warrants, which again gets back to the point you made earlier, which is in immigration matters, absent a specific Criminal immigration charge, such as illegally re-entering the United States after deportation, you're, there is no judicial warrant. Immigration proceedings are administrative slash civil in nature. There, there is no judge's warrant that you can procure. Doesn't exist.
0: So we we basically have you know all these lawyers, whether they're they're at OLC in the White House, DHS, DOJ. They always seem to believe in whatever radical lower court opinion rather than delegitimizing it. So what I'm hearing from ICE agents is that there are six ways from Sunday that even the worst criminal aliens avoid removal now based on novel and evolving Ninth Circuit type of rulings. And they apply it nationwide. So, for example, I'm told now there's this whole trend of illegals locking themselves in cars and they have people like activists around themselves, which, again, is criminally aiding and abetting. Um, and they won't break into the car. They won't break into the car. They feel they need a warrant. Um, it's simply not true. It, it's sim- because, again, you're detaining them in order to remove them, which the court as far back as 1904 said that you know, detention for the purpose of effecting a removal doesn't require that because it's sovereignty. It's, it's, a uh, you know, it, you know, it's goodbye. We're not trying to, it's not punishment. Um, but yet they, they follow that anyway. Um, now, yes.
1: yeah. you know, and, 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 and another example, and I don't honestly remember at the spur of the moment, whether it was Seattle or Portland, But there was a so-called self-described immigration activist who, in point of fact, was an illegal alien who not only had a narcotics conviction for tar heroin, but um, was a previous removal and therefore had re-entered the United States illegally after deportation, who has hidden himself in in the um, confines of a church. Uh, And the denomination, frankly, just does not matter. The point is that he's been in there for a considerable period of time, and rather than do something about it, they have allowed this case to fester and treated this man as if he is some sort of um, untouchable and allowed the mystique around him to, um, to build uh, to the point where people somehow think what he's doing is right, proper, and, and admirable, rather than saying he's using and manipulating um, extremely naive people uh, for his own personal benefit.
0: Do you agree with the statement that our immigration laws, contrary to the trite, you know, talking point, are not broken? Not as they relate to sovereignty and people who break into our country against our will. Obviously, our structure of the visas and you know legal immigration system certainly needs to be changed. But but illegally, it's, it's it's mainly the executive branches over the years just thumbing their noses at it, and then recently the courts codifying. Their thumbing of their noses at it as the law, and the law is lawlessness. I mean, that's what they're saying. Like, for example, you know, this marriage loophole where somehow you could cleanse your status of your illegal status if you overstay your visa, and rather than being subject to the ten-year uh, bar from re-entering, um, you're able to just remain and marry an American citizen. Uh, you know, the the Obama administration started with that. I mean, even the Bush administration. And then now a judge in Maryland said, Ice, you better not touch anyone that that's involved with an American citizen without our permission. Um, what is it we need to do? I mean, the laws aren't the problem. Obviously, we need to end judicial supremacism, which is that's an education issue. And um, we really need to bang <laughs> away at that. I mean, I don't know what to do about you're, that. But, but what about you're, you're the-
1: baiting you're, you're baiting me because I'm I'm, I'm prompted, you know, I'm. I'm tempted to quote Shakespeare. First, we killed all
0: the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, whatever, but 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 I'm saying the bureaucracy, I want to move on the, to what you said about the bureaucracy. You are an INS agent. Isn't it true that we would be better off restructuring it as one enforcement agency? Because right now, you have enforcement under ICE, but they, they don't have the keys to the castle. The keys to the castle are in USCIS, and eeyore at doj and they basically are just like a swamp i mean ken Cuccinelli always jokes around that every darn thing he utters is going to be in buzzfeed three minutes later because another fool at uscis is leaking to them those are the type of people you have there how do we empower ice and make it a better agency structurally and could you talk to our audience a little bit about the problems of hsi and how that ties into this
1: Yes, I can. And the first, I'm going to back off, back go backward and say um, so that there is no question about this. I was joking about lawyers. The problem with <laughs> lawyers, the problem with lawyers is that because lawyers are lawyers, they give each other due deference, and they give judges who are yeah. uber lawyers more deference. And of course, <laughs> somewhere along the line, they don't ever understand that there are times and places when lawyers shouldn't be involved. Anyway, yeah. okay. Now I've said that. Moving forward. Part of the problem is that when, you know, the Homeland Security Act was created, this notion of splitting up the agencies was superficially great. You put the uniform enforcement one place, plainclothes enforcement another place, and then the adjudicators someplace else. That, that's, that, that was faulty logic. The, the better solution would always have been to create a cabinet or sub-cabinet level Immigration organization in which all of the components operated together. If that had happened, you would not, for instance, have had a situation as did happen after the San Bernardino massacre, where agents physically went to the USCIS office close by and asked for the file um, related to, um, I think her name was Kashfin Malik, the Yep. The, yeah, the yeah and the wife of the guy, um, and we're told no, we're not going to give it to you, even though immigration officers were asking immigration officers for an immigration file. You know that goes to show how far these agencies have drifted in their stovepipes from one another. But to get back to the uh, specific issue of HSI um, for your listeners. HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, is one of the two major divisions in ICE, the other being Enforcement and Removal Operations, (ERO). The problem is that in the shotgun marriage that became ICE, um, U.S. Customs and, and INS, the customs officers managed to get a stranglehold on HSI. Mm. They have never liked and do not to this day like enforcing Any aspect of the immigration laws, they think it's beneath them. They do everything they can to avoid it. Um, They have made sure over the course of time that all of the prime positions um, with special agents in charge, et cetera, with a few select exceptions, have all gone to customs agents. And the result is that HSI thinks itself elite and above the fray. And there are some things. That is, there are some things that are within their mandate that are not within ERO's mandate that therefore don't get done or get done inadequately. And as a consequence, you see investigative efforts toward anti-smuggling, toward employer um, sanctions, toward a multiplicity of things suffer because they only do it on sufferance and as little as possible.
0: And isn't it because a big part of it is that they want to be like the FBI. HSI is like the mini FBI. I don't understand why we need both. We have DEA and FBI. Why do you know, it should usually fall into one of those jurisdictions, but it's everything they could do not to do immigration removal. And again, the whole point of immigration is this. It's not that everything bad happening in this country is from illegal immigrants, but certainly a big part is from them or sometimes legal immigrants, whether it's certainly terrorism and certain types of crimes it's very much foreign national and ice removal has the ability to complete the cycle of justice we don't have to investigate we don't have to litigate get them the hell out of the country identify the threats and if you're not a u.s citizen if you're a gang member if you're a nazi if you're a islamist if you're whatever and this really ties into terrorism too and i think it ties into what you're saying you need one immigration czar but not a czar like on top of the ridiculous structure we have now. Meaning a sub cabinet like you have an EPA administrator, like that will be the immigration administrator, and you have one INS type of organization that patrols, detains, apprehends, removes, and maybe adjudicates when when necessary. And they are in charge of it. That one director oversees the panoply of all of the harms, all of the threats posed through bad immigration policies, getting into the country, remaining in the country. And he's fully empowered to do that. But instead, you got, you know, USCIS, which is a toilet. You got EOR, which is a toilet. And then you have even an ICE. It's divided among most people know about when they think of ICE, they think of ERO. But HSI has more of the budget. More of the senior management is from HSI. They are, are given a higher statute because they're agents, you know, with with badges. And, you know, they view ERO as like schleppers and custodians, uh, you know, just like kind of prison wardens. That's that's the way they view them. I mean, I'm not saying it's like that, but really they're doing so much more bang for the buck. And I don't you know, it's funny because I don't think even conservative members of Congress understand this conversation. And they get this, that we we need I mean, isn't it true, Dan, that we did the opposite of what we should have done after 9-11 rather than coalescing everything into a seamless, well-oiled homeland security machine. We did more scattershot than ever before.
1: That is absolutely true. And, and, you know, one of the ironies that the belief was that INS was ineffectual because INS was ineffectual, rather than acknowledging the reality, which is the, the same reality today that INS was and DH is extremely politicized where immigration is concerned. And when you have politicization of what are fundamentally law enforcement or even um, administrative enforcement organizations, and by this, I am including what USCIS should be. They should see their job as making people comply with the law. Does that mean putting cuffs on individuals? No. But they're not. They're not just supposed to see themselves as benefits granters and philosophizers, who, whose role in life is to advance the open borders agenda. But that is what has happened, and that could be controlled better if you had someone that had authority, genuine authority, not a fake czar, like you said, over all of the immigration agencies within DHS. Theoretically, the DHS secretary does that, but let's be honest. The DHS secretary also has the Secret Service. He has DSA. He has FEMA. He has, you know, and and what is Post it, the uh, yeah, national... Yeah, he's got the whole mess. He doesn't have all of the time in the world devote to just immigration matters and one of the problems also is that you um have had a whole series of of dhs secretaries who didn't necessarily believe in immigration (laughs) enforcement up to and including john kelly
0: well up until and including everyone uh this uh this term i mean uh kirsten nielsen i I mean uh, chad wolf was a visa lobbyist i mean come on you know ken corinnelli is the guy the problem is ken this happens to him all the time he gets overruled i mean he doesn't like what's going on and and ken see rather than in the past we've had ice and border patrol leaders viewing them as benefit grantors to the world ken wants to make you even uscis in enforcement because I mean he said this on my show and rightfully so it's not like oh ICE is enforcement USCIS is for the immigrants no it's all for the american people it's to make sure we are only bringing in people who will be a benefit to the country and ensuring and weeding out you know chinese espionage islamic terrorism from the middle east um, all sorts of problematic things rather than just rubber stamping it that there's a presumptive right for anyone to just apply and come here um and my concern is just kind of tying everything together just to get your closing comments that we're on the cusp and very much in the process of a row or oberger fell equivalent of immigration where they're essentially coming with a meat cleaver just categorical right to immigrate
1: uh, y- y- you know I I I hope to the high heavens that you're wrong but i cannot say to you or to your listeners that that is outside the realm of possibility because you know even if that doesn't happen you know death by a thousand cuts uh, Mm. uh, reaches the same point death is death and if death of immigration enforcement ensues because you know open borders advocates have learned to manipulate the judicial system then whether it's by one you know one fatal decision or a hundred you know decisions that result in the fatality of our sovereignty, what's the difference?
0: Don't we need an an advocate on behalf of the American sovereign? So what I mean is by this it's like part of what I think happened to immigration law is you know you look at the law and you're like, wait a minute, how did that happen? The law says the opposite. meanwhile, like it's used against us. Has it happened? But I think it's kind of like if you have a boxing match, so typically, I mean, unless you're really unequally paired, you're, you're you're pretty much, you know, doing the same stuff and you can't just punch with impunity because the other guy is punching too and that in itself serves as a blocking mechanism and you kind of reach a certain equilibrium. When it comes to this, it's one-sided. There's no like American lawyer, hey, you know, you're not um, enforcing all the 1182s on admissibilities. You're not enforcing the 1222s on, you know, ensuring that, you know, people are, are checked for diseases before they're coming in i mean all the millions of things we're not enforcing on behalf of of americans whereas on behalf of the alien there's thousands upon thousands of pro bono lawyers and then they get into uscis and and eeyore and swing for the other side too you know they have it all all worked out and it's a push pull the same organizations bringing in and organizing the caravans are also the same ones doing the lawsuits often or connected with them and one after another they just pick apart the laws i mean how do we how do we get a voice for the american sovereign
1: i i don't know the answer to that but you've touched on one of the things that really bothers me deeply about standing aliens claim standing because they're denied something they're denied you know a benefit they're denied belief or they want an answer quicker than they get it when a citizen attempts to sue the government saying your immigration policy hurts me It's going to hurt my children, and it's going to hurt my children's children. What do the courts do? They say, yeah, well, that's hypothetical. You don't really have standing. There is no real controversy. Well, to me, that's a controversy. I'm deeply concerned about the future of the country for my children and my grandchildren. And so you've got this absurdity where a single alien who is told he can't get his green card or he's going to be removed, And then you add two or three of them and you've got a class action and then you've got a national injunction. And so, you know, the litigation goes forward again and again and again with all of these inventive lawyers um, from these migrant advocacy groups. But I'm not sure how American citizens penetrate that and make clear to the courts that, yes, I do have a vested interest and a standing in the future of my country. It's where I live. It's where I want to live. It's where I want my children and children's children to live decently.
0: Yeah, and and that's where the president promised uh, legislation uh, providing a cause of action for those harmed by illegal aliens that have been released by sanctuary cities. And of course, you know there's a hellfire rush for from Congress to pass all sorts of liberal priorities, um, and that includes the Republican-controlled Senate. Um, there will be a hell-fired okay. rush for a DACA fix. There won't be any rush for a sanctuary fix for for uh, you know any of these plugging these judicial loopholes. It's very sad, but this was very engaging. I really want to call on you to help us. Um, I'm I'm crafting you know ideas for a mandate for a second term and what needs to be done, and I you know want you to be a part of that. Uh, we're out of time just because it was so hard to get everything in the first time, but I wanted you to be introduced to our audience. Folks, if you have questions for Dan, um I could always discuss them with him offline and share them with you. Uh, you can email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Uh at some point I want to have you back just to discuss China and how, you know, the irresponsible mass migration from there is serving as a pipeline for espionage, trade secret theft. Um, you have a great piece out today, folks. Um go to uh, dan cadman's page at cis and you'll see um more evidence yet of china's systemic penetration of u.s academic and research institutions there's another indictment there he talks about all terrific terrific articles and you know i don't say that about too many people um dan thanks so much as always and and really looking forward to having you back
1: i hope to i hope to be invited back and thank you
0: You will very shortly. Anyway, folks, we are out of time. God bless you all till tomorrow. Thank you for listening.